0: Why settle for just living a good life? When you can live a life optimized to achieve your human potential, learn all the hacks that will transform your life from average to extraordinary. Welcome to Life Optimized with functional medicine expert, Dr. Neil Paulvin. Why settle for just living a good life? When you can live a life optimized to achieve your human potential, learn all the hacks that will transform your life from average to extraordinary. Welcome to Life Optimized with functional medicine expert, Dr. Neil Paulvin.
1: Thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Neil Paulvin with another new episode of the Life Optimized Podcast, where you help yourself optimize your health, your business, and your fitness. And we're really excited for a great new episode today. We're here with Dr. Jay Wiles from Hanu Health. He's an expert in many things. We're going to talk today a lot about heart rate variability. You're going to learn a lot of new things, everything from it's not just as simple as sympathetic versus parasympathetic and how you can utilize it from everything from your your fitness routine to your helping your mental health. Dr. Wiles, thanks for coming on and uh, introduce yourself. And I know you've had a very... Um, a, not a long journey, but you've had a very accomplished journey so far. So how did you, where'd you start out from? how did you get into producing HRV wearables and why do you think it was necessary?
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Really excited to be here. You know, it's a interesting journey of mine because my background I'm a, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist with a specialization in health psychology. And so basically what that means is I went to school, got my doctoral degree and did, you know, training and residency and a postdoctoral fellowship in working with clinical populations. So when I say clinical populations, I'm talking about individuals who have been diagnosed with anxiety disorders, depression, you know, schizophrenia, like more clinical related type of disorders. But I was always interested in the intersection between mental and physical health and how it, what's happening with our physiology and with our body. How does that impact the mind? and then also how does the mind impact the body? And then I kind of took that down the rabbit hole of getting into uh, performance and you know working with uh, health optimization and professional athletes. Uh, but it was kind of like an unconventional journey because a lot of people think of me now as like the psychophysiology expert, the heart rate variability expert. And I actually never came came across those terms when I was in school. I actually came across those terms when I did my one of my first rotations uh, with the Department of Veteran Affairs as a resident. I was working uh, with a pain clinic for veterans and what this pain clinic was intending to do was to titrate people off of opioid-based medications and utilize more effective strategies that weren't as addicting and then also didn't have uh, the side effects that opioids do. And so these were, you know, uh, it was a it was a full integrative clinic. We had a nutrition component you know, we had a chiropractic component, we had a meditation component. uh, We had, uh, let's see what else, um, uh, exercise component, sleep component. And then we also had this thing called biofeedback. And I'd never really been exposed to it before, but I was like, well, let me check it out. It's one of the things that are part of my rotation. I want to see what this thing is all about. And I found that these individuals were hooking people up to these different physiological sensors and then teaching them how to manipulate and change their breathing. And in turn, this was supposed to help them with their pain response. And at first I was kind of like, this seems almost a little bit gimmicky, a little bit woo woo. And then we started publishing studies and kind of in the scientific field, it's like once you start publishing studies and demonstrating efficacy, of a certain modality. Well, then everybody starts to, you know, eyes get wide and ears get wide as well. You start to listen and you start to kind of check things out. So I was fascinated because these people were reducing their pain response. Like subjectively, they were feeling better by changing this thing called heart rate variability. So for me, I just took that down the rabbit hole. I was so excited about this research and I was so fascinated by it because, you know, for a lot of these veterans, it was the fact that like psychotherapy and counseling seemed very soft to them. Like these are hardcore, like military individuals who like didn't want to see a head shrink. Like they wanted to do something that was objective and science driven, um, even though therapy is science driven and can be objective. And so this was very fascinating for them. But really what it was in the end, it was like a quantitative or objective way to demonstrate change in the nervous system when someone was doing breath work. And I was just fascinated by this. So so I again, went down the rabbit trail of, of kind of just developing a niche in this area, got board certified in biofeedback, peripheral biofeedback, and then in heart rate variability biofeedback, um, started being a, 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 you know part of many different scientific studies and publishing articles in this area. And then I opened up my own consulting firm where I was working with professional athletes and executives and everyday individuals who were utilizing these strategies of heart rate variability monitoring. And biofeedback to improve overall mental wellness and reduce things like anxiety and reduce depression and improve their resiliency to stress. And then, in terms of the question you asked about, like, why did I want to develop a wearable? Well, honestly, it was because we saw a gap in the market. I wasn't headed down that path, by the way. Like, I was just f- fine doing my consulting and my having my own private practice. Like, it was an enjoyable thing for me to do that. Uh, but I was approached by one of my clients um, who was like, I, you know, he was a a tech entrepreneur and said, I think we can build something better than what's on the market because there was a bit of a gap there. And so we said, okay, let's do it. <clears throat> let's build a way to track people's stress response very accurately, very uh, with high fidelity, high granularity, provide them with tailored treatments and therapeutics um, and create a system, which is where Hanu was born back in August of 2021. So we're a pretty new company, uh, but we're out in the market now, which is highly incredible. So yeah, that was the uh, journey into uh, whatever that was five minutes (laughs) that's in a pandemic in a pandemic world that's
1: pretty impressive to build up to having the product on the market in my apartment in about a year or so that's that's pretty darn impressive so explain to people biofeedback is something I learned in med school oh, like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And now it's starting to come, now that the mental health and breath work is starting to kind of have a re a emergence as something in the mainstream, explain to people what biofeedback is, the different ways it can be done, um, mm-hmm. and what is really, I mean,
0: it has great amount of uses. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, biofeedback is actually like you mentioned, it's not something that's new. We've updated our technology, but you know, that's kind of how technology works, right? You can't be too or it'll just be left in the past. So you have to update it. So we've gained more accurate uh, sensing technology and sampling rates and all this, this other kind of tech side. But biofeedback has been around for a while. And basically what biofeedback is, is the definition is kind of in the word. It's utilizing biology or physiological markers as feedback for training. So there's multiple modalities or different types of biofeedback. So for instance, we have things like thermal biofeedback where we look at skin temperature and how that relates to changes in the nervous system. We have things like EMG biofeedback, which is looking at muscular tension. So this is an evidence-based biofeedback protocol for people who have... headaches or tension type headaches is that they'll actually put them on the trapezius muscles or they'll put them on the masseter muscles or other areas that we tend to clench or hold a lot of pressure and stress and tension that can then lead to headaches um, or in the sternomastichoid muscles. So there's a lot of different areas um, that we can use EMG biofeedback. Then there's things like heart rate variability biofeedback feedback that I mentioned earlier, which is actually using heart rate variability as the proxy or measurement um, during training that gives us insight or information as to what's happening with our stress response or what's happening with our nervous system at any given moment. We have things like GSR or the galvanic skin response, which is looking at skin sweating uh, when we're under stress. And then one of the other um, ones that we use a fair amount which has become quite popular here in the last 10 years or so, but again, not new, but we're advancing in the technology is what we call EEG biofeedback or more commonly referred to as neurofeedback, which is a really fascinating approach to helping people to uh, uh, to brain entrainment or training their brain waves to certain states or identifying kind of deficiencies in power output in different areas of the brain in terms of brainwave states. So when we think about biofeedback, we're just really talking about a way to Quantify change and examine change that's occurring within our nervous system and use that as a guide. So one of the things that I always like to to share with people is that a lot of people love like the idea of like a breathwork session or a mindfulness meditation session. These are all great things and amazingly powerful evidence-based approaches. But the one common thing that I get from people is they're like, well, you know, at the end of the session, I think I feel better. Like I feel less stressed and that's great. And we want that. Like we want people to experience Experience The subjective change in their stress. However, the great thing about biofeedback is that they can actually see in real time changes in their data changes in their nervous system. And what that really helps people to do is condition a different response because now it goes from, yes, I subjectively feel good, which is great. We want that to also kind of compounding that with I have objective data that cannot lie. It is showing me like in the moment, real time change in my nervous nervous system. And for a lot of people, that gives them a ton of buy-in to say, okay, this is not just woo-woo breath work. This is not just woo-woo meditation. Like There are actual physiological changes that are occurring, and I see this in real time, and it's a very valuable buy-in.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think now that people have not just had that feeling, it's the, the data backs it up. I mean, I've seen it from patients from, like you mentioned, from chronic pain and headaches to anxiety to just day-to-day life and their their work and sports performance improves. It's it's A to B at this point. Now, you mentioned a lot of different types of feedback. You developed the wearable. Um, a lot of people ask about neurofeedback and you brought it up. How do you comfortable do you feel and how good are the at-home neurofeedback devices there's been an onslaught of those over the last 5 years or so some are still here some have unfortunately died in early death just cuz they just weren't reproducible is that some again we definitely know hr variability which we're going to get into a second is you could definitely do at home and get the benefits can you do that with a bio and neurofeedback as well
0: yeah i think it's a great question because a lot of people will just see this marketing for you know whatever device it may be you know like the big one is muse Mindy uh, mindy's another one like there's a- of really great companies out there that can be really effective in terms of neurofeedback. The problem that can arise though is that many of these companies that are producing these wearable EEGs or at-home EEGs is that they're only looking at one area of the brain. Um, so for instance, and again, this is not just to for me to kind of push back on Muse, if you will, but Muse, it's at the frontal lobe. So the, the device actually sits at the frontal lobe, and which means that the brain waves it is measuring is right at the frontal lobe. Well, what if you have some sensor motory problems and you need to get the t- top strip of the brain or the sensor motor strip, or maybe you kind of have some locations that we've identified that are maybe more in the temporal lobe. So uh, the problem is, is that you kind of get more or less a one size fits all uh, with a lot of these neurofeedback, like at home trainings, which is mainly just going to be like frontal lobe brain entrainment, which for some that can be really great for others. They may not notice a lot of benefit because maybe that's not where they're experiencing kind of a lot of the detriment when it comes to, you know, brainwave a need for brainwave entrainment. It's like if. Has ADHD, for say, uh, uh, for instance, frontal lobe trainment can actually be extremely powerful from a neurofeedback perspective. But again, if we find more of the deficits don't lie in the frontal lobe, but are maybe more in the temporal lobe, maybe they're more in the parietal lobe, which runs more on top of the brain or top of the skull, then we're not doing a lot of good by just looking at kind of frontal lobe brainwave entrainment. So it really depends. There's a company um, that I was gonna look it up here on my phone. There's a company that's coming out right now who's producing like a full head cap, um, uh, at home trainer. I want to say it's like sensei or something like that. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they're more expensive. Um, I think they're going to be like maybe fifteen hundred to sixteen hundred bucks. But from what I've seen, the research on that, it looks incredible. Um, so if you, someone has that disposable income, if you will, um, that can be really great. And if you are already seeing a neurofeedback specialist like that as an adjunctive for like at-home training, incredible. But the great thing about seeing a neurofeedback specialist or doing what's called a qEEG or a quantitative brain map, um, that can be uh, that can be really important. Important Because then people can then you can hone in on exactly where the deficits are in brainwave kind of output or power output, and then focus on training certain areas. Whereas a lot of these at home trainers is like the one size fits all frontal lobe brainwave entrainment, um, more of kind of like a meditative brainwave entrainment, uh, less like traditional neurofeedback. So I that's my long winded way of saying there can be some benefits, but I don't necessarily think it's like the best practice approach for everybody just to say, let me go get a muse or let me go get some of these other ones that just do frontal lobe um, entrainment. I totally second everything that uh, Jay just said there.
1: And I mean, I've had, QEGs. It's not the most, it's the most, it's a very interesting experience. I mean, at least some of them you have gel in your hair, you have these little red beanies on and, uh, but the information that I know I, when I had it, it was like a psychic was talking to me and saying, okay, did you have this experience? And like, yeah, how do you know that? And I'm like, Okay. I mean, it just even that, I bought in because he was saying things that, that nobody knows. I, I didn't tell them beforehand. And that data, again, allowed us to have a very specific approach. I knew what to do rather than just kind of throwing darts and hoping to hit the, the bullseye. So it, I agree. I think the QEG, no matter what you're doing at home or with a specialist, is incredibly important. So I, right. I second that completely. Now let's get into, which I'm sure you prob- you've been you get asked every day, what is, for people who don't know, and that's what, I, again, I really want to dive into because people have whatever app they have right now, and most of them still don't know what their HRV actually is. They just know what their numbers, and they just want to have it higher, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, so what do people need to know 101 about what heart rate variability is?
0: Yeah, I I think that just a basic definition. The, the one thing, the one thing that ends up happening is that like heart rate variability now is like ubiquitous, right? It's like like you mentioned, it's on every wearable. If, it's, if you have Aura or Garmin or Apple Watch or Whoop or any other the other really great wearable brands, most of them are tracking heart rate variability. Um, almost all of them, except for you know a few of them, and I'll mention that here in a second, are tracking them at night only, and I'll explain why that is here in just a bit. But uh, it, it can be very confusing using because it's a metric where people are like, uh, what do I make of this number? Like, should I be comparing it to others? Like, how do I even use it? So I like to always kind of just break it down into simple chunks because one thing about heart rate variability is that it is not an easy metric to understand. There's actually a lot of vast complexities to how heart rate variability is produced and then also how it is interpreted. But I want to just make it like understandable, palatable, and then also practical. So here's how I explain it. A lot of people are very familiar with what heart rate is um, because intuitively heart rate will make sense to people. So if you're wearing a watch and you look down at your watch and it says my heart rate right now is 60 beats per minute, what that is indicating is that on average in the last 60 seconds, your heart rate was beating at one sec- or at one second interval. So every second, your heart was beating. Okay, intuitively, that makes sense. Now, is that correct? Well, approximately, that can be correct. But is it actually accurate? No, your heart was not beating exactly at 60 beats per minute. If that were the case, and your heart was kind of acting like a metronome, then actually what would happen is, is your heart rate variability, or how much your heart varies in terms of time between beats, would be zero, zero milliseconds. That's not a good thing. And we'll explain why that's not a good thing here in just a second. But what we do know is that the heart rate changes. Um, it actually changes like all the time. So if you're wearing a heart rate monitor, for instance, that's looking at a lot of fast paced data and it's giving you real time looks into your heart rate, you'll see it go up and down and up and down and up and down. Heart rate changes. Well, why is that? The main reason heart rate is changing is because your heart has to adapt to millions, billions, I should say, of processes that occur every single second. And the way that it it, it adapts is by the speeding and slowing. And what that's typically driven by is actually your breathing. So we know that there's a process called respiratory sinus arrhythmia or RSA, which is how your heart rate increases upon inhalation and decreases upon exhalation. And when that happens across that respiratory cycle, we see heart rate again, go up and down and up and down with your breathing. So we'll talk about kind of the role of breathing here in just a minute, but I wanted to kind of throw that primer in there. So if your heart rate is changing every single time you breathe, um, even if you're not breathing, you're holding your breath, your heart rate is changing. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that there can be a lot of variance between the time between heartbeats because it can go from 60 all the way up to 90 within a couple of seconds. And then from 90 all the way back down to 60 within another couple of seconds, there's a lot of change in your heart rate that's occurring. And so we are actually able to look at all the different changes that occur in the time between each heartbeat. And how much do they vary from one another? And we refer to that as heart rate variability. Well, why is that important? Well, we know that heart rate variability at its, at its core is the single greatest non-invasive proxy that we have for a for assessing the dynamic changes that are occurring in your nervous system. Or put in layman terms is that when we see change um, in adaptability, your nervous system is able to adapt to everything that's going on within your environment, or at least most of what's going on, we see heart rate variability increase. The amount of time between successive heartbeats actually gets bigger and varies more widely. And that again is a sign that this person is adapted to stress. Whereas when we see heart rate variability go down, we say that person's nervous system is experiencing more taxation. It is having a hard time right now really adjusting because at the core of our nervous system and really of all physiological processes is an attempt or a strive for homeostasis, a striving for balance. And when cannot adapt because of all the stressors that are occurring, and that balance kind of gets out of whack, that's representative by many different metrics, an increase in heart rate, a reduction in heart rate variability. So again, at its core, heart rate variability is going to tell us like how well are we adapting to stress at any given moment, or maybe how not so well are we adapting? That is... That sums up in a nutshell.
1: So let's break that down a little bit. So, so again, a lot of people say the de- traditional definition you hear it's your paras It's how well your parasymp- your vagus nerve, is accommodating your parasympathetic, which is your calming, rest and relax response versus your fight or flight response, versus your sympathetic. There's more to it than just that. I mean, again, the breath, the breathing, or cold, or things that you do to help hopefully regulate and improve your HRV is not just work. Not that A to B where, okay, we're just going to get kick that vagus nerve, that parasympathetic parasympathetic system into place, and your HRV is going to be perfect. Is that a fair statement, or um, is there more to it than that?
0: Yeah. So, you know, one thing uh, for the sake of listeners who kind of aren't familiar with those terms, um, so within our autonomic nervous system and we say autonomic, we're talking about the things that are occurring automatically. And it used to be thought that uh, back in the day that these were things that are kind of outside of our ability to control or to manipulate. And we know that's not true and we can explain why, but there's three predominant branches of the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, sympathetic nervous system and the enteric nervous system for the sake of kind of our conversation, we'll really just focus on the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. Now it used to be thought that kind of heart rate variability kind of gives us Uh a good indicator as the, as, as to what is balancing or not balancing between those two branches, the parasympathetic nervous system, our rest. Just relaxation response, and then our sympathetic nervous system, which is more of our fight or flight kind of stress engaging response. You can even think it about about it as the parasympathetic nervous system is our recovery and more of our conser- conservation of energy branch of our nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is more about mobilizing energy and more about execution. So I kind of like to, to break those out. To those because sometimes think it's like people think of sympathetic stress, parasympathetic relaxation. It's not quite that simple. These are it's complex, is what I should say. And so it used to be just kind of thought like heart rate variability or a stable is heart it, rate is, is variability means balance between those two branches of the nervous system. I would say by definition, that's not inherently wrong, but I would say that it's a little bit um, of an oversimplification. When we look at heart rate variability metrics, depending on the metric, and that's one thing to keep in mind too, heart rate variability is a compilation of metrics. It's not just one singular metric. Now, a lot of devices will give you one singular metric, which is typically what's called RMSSD. It's a great short-term measurement of parasympathetic engagement. But there are a compilation of different metrics. What these metrics are telling us depend on what the metric actually is. So people have to really be aware of that. But if we're really looking to say, okay, what is happening within the nervous system? There are a few metrics that we really turn to that can give us more of a high fidelity kind of overview of what's going on. And it can tell us like whether or not our vagus nerve is being actively engaged or disengaged at any given moment in time. And we can see patterns of data change and behavioral change that coincide with with that information. So again, this is... Kind of like why there's a bit of complexity um, to this metric is because it does indeed kind of give us some insight and awareness as to kind of what's going on within kind of our our vagus nerve or vagal functioning or what we would call as vagal tone. However, it's not just that simple, um, and it has to be kind of interpreted within its context. Which, when it comes to heart rate variability, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, like context is key. Like without context. Heart rate variability metrics, like like they basically give us no information, and it might be bastardizing it a little bit, but it's pretty close to minimal information, if not non-existent, if we don't have context for the data.
1: I totally agree. So, let's get in that context. Well, let's go. The very simple question is, and I'm sure you get asked as many times as I do, what what should my HRV be? Is there a set number? My there's. I'm looking more at the variability. I'm not looking. The number is kind of again. I have friends who are at 180. I will never hit 180. It's it's just not my uh, it's not my makeup. It's not going to happen. I understand that. I'm looking to make sure that I have a decent variability and I'm not in the teens. If I know I'm in the teens, I know I'm in trouble. So, what do you tell clients and people out there? What in terms of should they be looking for? Is there a set numbers, is the variability? And then we'll get into kind of how that interplays as we go on here.
0: I think this is the most confusing aspect of heart rate variability: is that people don't know um, kind of how or what or if they should compare it. Because if you think about a lot of the other biometrics that we have, we have what are called normative basis of comparison. So we've been able to study you know millions of people and have billions of data points, and we can say, okay, for this select group of individuals, here's kind of a range that typically you want to find yourself in. So th- let's we can think about many metrics that kind of operate like that: blood pressure being. Being one of them there's thresholds and this is kind of the normal kind of range you know other things like not a great metric but one that we do have is BMI is one of those where you can compare mm-hmm. uh, we have yeah which is not a great metric by by any means but it is one that physicians sometimes will <laughs> use as a basis of comparison then we have things like and again like this is debatable but like cholesterol panels and kind of like the different ranges which looks very different functional medicine practitioner than it does for you know conventional but every a lot of things are comparable but heart rate variability is not one of those heart rate variability is like comparing apples and oranges between two different individuals well then the question would be well why is that and then how do I interpret it the basic answer to your question though here is that you cannot there is no quote unquote good number collectively, there is a good and a bad number for you. And the reason being is because there are so many variables um, that are at play when it comes to what contributes to someone's baseline heart rate variability. The key component that we see in the literature is that genetics is one of the pre- predominant makeups here. So we've there have actually been studies that have been done that have looked at um, people who have a very similar genetic um, makeup. so siblings looking at kind of, you know, uh, uh, parent-child relationships, a lot of twin studies on this as well that have looked at, what is baseline heart rate variability? And then also takes into consideration the variable of overall health status. And what the studies have demonstrated is that even outside of someone who is quote unquote healthy, the biggest or key variable or moderating variable is actually genetics. Now, I don't want to kind of sit there and say then, okay, well, you know, whatever kind of genetics has laid in front of you, then therefore, like you have, you, you are, you know, kind of a victim or a prisoner to genetics. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying, though, is that I think people need to learn how to interpret their data in that light and also learn that this is not a data point of comparison. So if it's not a data point of comparison and I can't go on to you know, Instagram and see someone posted their 180 you know, heart rate variability and I'm sitting over here at you know whatever, it could be 30, like, is this a problem? Like, am I going to die? Do I have, quote unquote, low HRV? That is the question I get all the time. I say, let's take a step back. Um, And the step that we need to take back is number one, understanding what that metric is telling us. And number two, understanding how to interpret it within its context. Here's the one example that I always give, and I think it's easy for people to understand, is that let's just say... That baseline range does not matter. And I'm not necessarily here sitting here saying that it doesn't matter at all, but let's just say it doesn't matter. Well, then what component would matter? Well, I can have a really well conditioned athlete who comes in and, you know, from a cardiorespiratory fitness standpoint, they are really in shape and I may do you know some work with them and say, okay, let's do some biofeedback. And I want you to move that marker, your heart rate variability. I want you to do some biofeedback and raise it. And maybe they start off really high at a hundred milliseconds. And they do, you know, a minute, two minutes of biofeedback and they raise it from 100 to 102. Okay. There's that person. Then I can, in the next person who tells me, man, I'm stress resilient. Like I'm feeling good. That athlete, by the way, is super stressed. They're overworked. They're overreached. And I have this individual who comes in and says, okay, I want to do some, you know, biofeedback for health optimization and for mental wellness. And they start off with a 30 heart rate variability, 30 milliseconds. I have them do biofeedback and they raise it from 30 in the matter of two minutes to 70. Okay, who has the more resilient nervous system? The one with the really high heart rate rate variability, where they can move it only from 100 to 102, or the person who just moved it from 30, which people could consider low if they didn't hear this talk, and they move it to 70. I want the person who can go from 30 to 70, not the person who's at 100 and can go to 102. Because what that demonstrates is strong control over the nervous system. And that is the primary way that we use at HANU, heart rate variability, is developing strong self-regulation of your nervous system so that when you tell it to move, it moves. That is the whole key and component to biofeedback is learning how to control the nervous system so that when you need to tell it to do something, to relax or to engage It listens to you because you've already put in all the hard work. You've already trained it. You've been in the mental gym or the biofeedback gym. So that's my really long-winded, hopefully that was helpful, but that that was my really long-winded way of trying to tell people that the idea isn't to say, I need to kind of raise my HRV just for the sake of raising HRV. There are ways to raise baseline HRV through things like increasing kind of stress resiliency, through improving cardiorespiratory fitness and VO2 max, um, through uh, changing uh, uh, your diet it through reducing inflammation in the body. There are ways to do this. But the end goal here is really to use it as a proxy. It is to use it as information as to how well you are adapting or how well you are not so adapting. So pretty much what you're saying, and it's a really different approach than
1: I've heard, and I love it, is it's not a static number. It's not, like you said, it's not a blood pressure where if I'm at 30, and even if I have variability where I see throughout the day or night I went from 30 to 120, that's okay. But the key would be if I start doing breath work or biofeedback and I'm seeing that really quick response, so it's more dynamic. If I'm responding really well, that's the gold standard to make sure that my HRV is good, not the variability, not the fixed number. That, the, that response is probably the most important factor that we're looking at here.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. The where we can really use that baseline number um, is is in two different ways. If we're looking at how well is the nervous system recovering, so if we're you know uh, someone who's an athlete or someone who's engaging in a lot of physical activity, so like on an overnight aura score or whoop score, or if you take a morning read. It's like, how well are we recovering? Because the whole idea in the world of heart rate variability, and this is kind of maybe counterintuitive for some people, it's not that higher is better or lower is worse. It's that normal is better. What we want to see is stability in heart rate variability. If we start to see a downward daily trend in heart rate variability, well what what information is that telling us? The nervous system is being taxed and we're not recovering very well and we need to do something about it. And if we keep kind of putting in time for overtraining and overreaching, like it's going to continue to go down and it's going to lead to potential injury, to potential burnout, we're going to leave gains on the table, all of those things can occur. So that's one way of looking at it. The other way is how we use it at home. Which is we are looking at what is your baseline range throughout the day, and are you maintaining good stability? Or if you drop outside of that range, are you able to bounce back really quickly and maintain stability? Or do you drop and stay low for a while when you impact or you're impacted by stress? Uh, the one thing that I love comparing this to because there's a lot of overlap, but for different reasons, there's a lot of similarities too. Is it's it, it operates very similar at Hanu to the way it works with a. CGM or a continuous glucose monitor. So with a CGM, we're trying to avoid the crazy roller coasters of ups and downs and dips that can happen all throughout the day when we're eating foods that aren't kind of optimal for our well-being. Heart rate variability is very similar. As in, we want good stability throughout the day. Will we experience those drops? One hundred percent. But we also want to balance that out with good stability throughout the day. So I tell people the idea isn't let's raise our heart rate variability as high as we can and keep it there. It's let's use that as a tool for when things do get go a little awry and we need to reset. That's when we take that approach of saying, okay, it could be a good time now for a meditative session or a biofeedback session or a way to stabilize heart rate variability and in other words, stabilize the nervous system. So when we think about HRV, just think about that as like, that's a, that's our understanding or our status of what the nervous system is telling us at that moment. Um, it's not a vanity metric, even though people want to make it a vanity metric, it is not in any shape or form.
1: That sums it up. So you 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 mentioned Hanu Health. So you uh, what the company's doing is great, and you are trying to make it. And you mentioned it briefly is you're taking this from a nighttime metric and all, making it uh, 20, uh, a twenty a mostly twenty four hour metric at least during the day, and then you're also building other programs. So explain how you how Hanu is taking this to the next level and being able to to let patients or c- clients do it at home and understand through the app and what all the other technology you guys are developing.
0: Yeah. So the, uh, the thing is, is like right now when people want to get heart rate variability, there's two ways to get it. And this is. with Hanu. I'll talk, talk about Hanu's the thir- third way. The two ways that people can predominantly get it is by having a wearable um, that is tracking it overnight. Well, they say, well, why isn't it tracking it during the day? Well, a lot of these wearables, you can see I've got, you know, like, a, like we're testing a lot right now. I just got this Fitbit that I'm testing. Um, and then I'm also testing. Um, I have had aura and whoop forever, uh, but they use what's called light based sensing technology or PPG technology, which means they shine a, a red infrared or green or yellow amber light into the skin, looking at the expansion and contraction of capillaries that r- indicate a there's a pulse. So it's basically an indirect way of looking at pulse rate. Well, when you're still, you can get great data, both heart rate data and heart rate variability data. But if you engage in any type of movement, then the fidelity of that signal or our ability to get a really good signal goes way down. So for heart rate, we can still approximate heart rate pretty well with a lot of movement. But heart rate variability is one that we have to be very accurate because we're talking about a matter of milliseconds. So we need to really... Hone in and capture it extremely accurately. So that's why, like when you're still, it can it can happen. You can get great HRV from Aura or from Whoop. But when you start to move, we lose that signal. Whereas Hanu. We use a wearable EKG, so a polar H10 chest strap, which is like the gold standard for consumer wearable EKGs. It's very easy to put on. You just snap it on, snap it off. You don't have to charge the battery. It lasts forever. Well, not forever. You do have to change the battery, but it lasts for a really long time. And the great thing is, is that we're getting the direct signal of the heart. We're actually looking at the electrical output or the QRS QRST wave of the heart. So we're able to pick up on what's called and measure those in, with, with exactness under almost all conditions. So for us, we're able to look at every single day, all day when you're wearing it, what's happening with heart rate variability. It updates every single second. You'll see heart rate variability modulate in real time. And that's going to give us a great indication as to how is that person responding effectively or not so effectively to stress at any given moment. So for uh, Hanu, it's all about continuously monitoring someone's stress response throughout the the day and then providing them with feedback when we see changes saying, Hey, it looks like something's going on here. Like we just wanted to check in with you. It might be time to kind of do some breath work practice or do some biofeedback practice. So in that extent, it works like a stress monitor and a stress coach all in one.
1: And then, um, and the Apple has that already integrated into
0: it as Mm -hmm. well. Yep. So, yeah, so the way it works is the user experience is that once you put on the device and you connect it to the app, um, you'll basically just wear the device um, uh, throughout your working day. We tell people, you know, kind of put it on like when you're going to work and take it off when you get home. Um, that's typically the most stressful points in people's day is kind of throughout the working day. And uh, w- what you'll see is kind of a couple of things. You'll see a stress resiliency score, which is an overarching like zero to 100 score that changes throughout the day. So as opposed to like aura or whoop, where you get one score when you wake up and it does not change, ours will actually modulate throughout the day depending on what we're seeing with heart rate and heart rate variability other metrics. And so that gives you kind of a good, like, here's a glance, how am I doing right now? So I can look right now, you know, I'm doing a podcast. um, And so for me, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit lower than normal. I'm right around like 65. Um, So normally I can operate in like the 75 to 80 range. Um, And then it shows you also in real time, here's your heart rate variability, here's your heart rate. Um, So you have all those things going on at once. And then again, when we see you move outside of your normal range, or we see, Real big drop in kind of your metrics will alert you to it and say, Hey, something's going on. Just wanted to check in. It may not be anything, or it may be something that you need to attend to. And then we give you the opportunity to do some breath work, to do some biofeedback.
1: Now, so now the next question people always want to like compare things and look at numbers. And so this is like this is, we know this is the more accurate measure, just not always the most you like, said, so a lot of tech just doesn't have it available to them um should they be compared since this is mostly uh we've talked and this is a daily measure it's not something you're not most people aren't going to sleep with the polar h10 strap on it um should they be comparing it to their or their whoop at night are the numbers going to be dramatically different obviously there's different obviously sleep versus work i'm sure the the stress levels are you hopefully going to be worse during the day is it is it apples and oranges is it or is it something that they can at least get an idea on both ends
0: it's a, it, it, I love this question because it is one that I think that a lot of people get a little bit nervous when they wear Hanu because they're like, well, I've been tracking my HRV with Aura or Whoop for years. And this is telling me something like way lower. And I, what I say is, is like you have to think about it this way when you are sleep and we're taking your heart rate variability, you are at the most still recover-oriented time of your day, or at least hopefully. So the nervous system is really engaged, like you're really relaxed because you're sleeping. So we should see a higher heart rate variability. As soon as you wake up and you get going, you have to mobilize energy, right? Like you have to execute. Like I have to talk, I have to move, I have to go. So what does that do? Well, it drives heart rate variability way down. So I'll give you a for instance, and this is not so that anybody can compare numbers with me. I just want people to have a, a frame of reference. My typical overnight heart rate variability is right around 100 to around 115. That's about my window. Now, throughout the day when I'm wearing Hanu, and again, 100 to 115 for Aura at night, when I'm wearing Hanu, it's generally around 35 to 50. 50. So, I mean, cut it in half, if not even more. Well, why is that? It's because I am actively engaging. I'm mobilizing a lot of energy. Even me sitting here and just typing on my computer, I'm mobilizing a lot more energy than I would when I'm sleeping. So a lot of people, again, they get a little bit nervous because they're like, yeah, my aura says like. but I'm in like 15 throughout the day on Hanu. Like, am I going to die? No, 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 no. Like that is not the case. Like you are, you would expect to see that. So there's no need to worry your baseline range throughout the day when you are actively engaging is going to be way different than your overnight heart rate variability. That is good to know. And people, so people understand
1: the difference there. So um, I'm sure what is one or two things that people could be doing on a daily or a several times a week basis that is, pr- that's going to be simple. Well, I do not have to be simple. That's going to be the best thing they can do to optimize their HRV the best we can. I know that's kind of almost become based on what you're saying. It may not be the easiest A to B term at this point, but what could right. people do to get that HRV better? Is it breath work? Is yeah. it biofeedback? What, what can they do?
0: Yeah, it's a a good question. One that we are asked a lot of the times, right? It's like, how do I raise HRV? Or like, what are the kind of the most optimal strategies? And to be honest, like it can be different for a lot of different people. Like we'll take different types of like, let's say stress therapies that a lot of people love these days, breathwork or biofeedback and meditation. Those are two very different types of practices. There's obviously commonalities and similarities, but two very different types of practices. There's a subset of people who like when they do biofeedback, their heart rate variability goes out the roof. And when they meditate, not so much. And then there's the flip of some people who do biofeedback or breath work and their heart rate variability like plummets. It's not great. And then some it's like the meditation component, like really heightens heart rate variability. What I would say is, is that for a lot of the people who have more of like this kind of, no, uh, a significant response in the downward direction. So heart rate variability drops when doing biofeedback. I would I find that typically 85%, if not more, of these individuals, it's because of performance anxiety. They're working really hard to raise their heart rate variability in real time with biofeedback. If that's the case, I say, listen, take that phone. Sit it aside, allow it to continue to track, and just focus on a breathwork session that is not guided by data. Because there are some individuals, a lot of my high performers, that if they try to guide themselves by the data, like it really messes them up. So I'd say, like a lot of it is just kind of trial and error, and practicing some different things, and seeing what feels best subjectively. Where am I seeing a good objective data change? But the 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 two components that I tell people that are like well, there's three. I know you asked for you know a couple, but I'm gonna give three things that are like imperative. Number the 1 number delivery. 1 let's is do it. Let's do it. Number 1 is high quality exercise. Um so for the research on heart rate variability and stress resiliency has demonstrated that a good high quality combination of zone 2 heart rate training, zone 5 heart rate training and resistance or weight training is like the the perfect match. And can you overdo those? Absolutely. So you have to know thyself. But good zone 2, zone 5 and resistance training can be very great for helping to reset the the system. Number two is, and this should probably be number one. I mentioned exercise first, but I think number one, high quality sleep. Um, I think sleep is the foundational pillar of mental health because you can do everything that I'm mentioning breath work, you know, good nutrition, good um, exercise. But if you have really poor quality sleep and poor quantity of sleep, it's going to affect mental health, like undeniably. So making sure that sleep is on point should be number one if that is a problematic area for you. And then the other thing that we see in the literature is is biofeedback um, and breathwork. So biofeedback is basically just the quantitative or objective form of breathwork. But there is a form of breathing that we tr- we teach or biofeedback that we teach um, that has been well-supported and evidence-based in the literature um, that we build into our app called Resonance Frequency Biofeedback. And that is means that you find your resonance rate or rate that influence heart rate variability and the parameters around that and the physiology around that the most. And we actually in Hane will run you through a test to find that breathing pattern that is most uh, effective for you. And then we uh, we tell you what that is. And then you practice at that rate. So you breathe at that resonance frequency rate. And what we know is that it does a couple of things. Um, the primary thing is that it increases what we call um, heart rate magnitude or amplitude, which is the peak to trough differences in heart rate across the respiratory cycle. So kind of back to the beginning of the talk where I talked about the inhalation increasing heart rate and the exhalation decreasing heart rate. We want to find the breath pattern that maximizes that peak and that trough the most. Um, and then we also... <clears throat> Want to see which one is influencing your baroreflex mechanism the most. And what the baroreflex mechanism is, it's basically your body's way of maintaining um, balance of blood pressure. And we can. Uh- Estimate that through different markers of heart rate variability. So we run people through that resonance by bio, uh, biofeedback or resonance frequency training or assessment And then we have them train at that rate and what we've seen is that people learn how to condition their nervous system to be able to respond almost Instantaneously with that type of breathing pattern so that when they find themselves in a stressful situation or context They revert to it reflexively It just becomes a natural inclination to breathe at that rate without them having to think about it because they've trained it so much. That's the important part of biofeedback is it comes back to behavioral psychology 101, which is that the more you do something and the more you pair something with something, the more you condition it. So if you condition every single time you experience a stressor and then do some biofeedback immediately with it, you're gonna condition your body to reflexively interact and self-regulate to that stressor more often and reduce the frequency, the severity, and the duration of that event, having negative impact or change kind of on your physiology.
1: Uh, those three are perfect, easy to do, and uh, definitely could do through the HANA app as well. So, briefly, you mentioned uh, in the beginning, how does HRV relate to mental health? Um, and unfortunately, we're ha- uh, having a, a mental—I would call a crisis—in the, in the United States. So HRV and biofeedback are something that can definitely help. So, how does how does that relate? um and and how can we use it to help people
0: yeah so the, the biggest way it relates is that we know that individuals who are experiencing anxiety and depression and mental health-related disorders and symptoms have significant changes in their baseline heart rate variability. We see a significant reduction. We see a lack of stability in heart rate variability. But the great thing is, is that we know that through continuous monitoring, but also training through biofeedback, we can significantly improve outcomes. So biofeedback is an evidence-based practice for mental health therapies. Um, so it is something that if you see a biofeedback practitioner, if it's a psychologist or, you know, a clinician of any other type of sort who's certified in that, is that like insurance companies like will accept and pay for you to do biofeedback because it is a evidence based protocol. We're just making it more accessible to people so that if they are seeing a therapist, they use this as an adjunctive to bridge the gap between therapy sessions. But also it's kind of a one off as well, where they can use it as a way to train better mental Fortitude and resiliency. So, heart rate variability is something that gives us, again, great insight as to how the nervous system is adapting. And we know that people with anxiety, people with depression, people with other mental health related concerns do not have really well adapted nervous systems which means that when they take a hit, they take it really hard. The most extreme example of this is someone who has post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Their nervous system is so shaky. They're already on edge, their nervous system is. And then when they encounter a trigger or a cue or a stressor, they get so derailed that it takes them a hard time recovering. So we see people who are wearing Hanu who have PTSD, their heart rate variability after a stressor will drop way below baseline and stay there not for just minutes, but for hours on end because it shakes their nervous system so so much but then when they do a biofeedback practice they're able to not just regulate and get back up to baseline but to stabilize it within that baseline range and that's kind of the point too is to catch it as early as we can stabilize the nervous system so that we can make it readaptable again if you will which is not a word but I'll use it for this one readaptable the whole that's that's the whole point so As much as we can instill stability of the nervous system's ability to adapt, the more we're going to improve mental health outcomes and not be as derailed. I always talk about this idea that at the core of Hanu and what we do is teach people how to regulate their emotions really well. And we teach them to do it through self-regulation and self-awareness. They become more aware of the things that are impacting their mental wellness. And then we teach them better ways to self-regulate their mental wellness all through kind of the context of of biometric monitoring and biofeedback training that's great because it's something that it plays well in the sandbox
1: it could be done as a solo it mixes with therapy it can mix with medications um and all the new other techniques that are coming out so it's 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 important and there's no side effects too which is Always a bonus with psychiatric uh, medications and illnesses. Right. So I wanted to say thanks for coming on. Let people know where they can find out about you. They can find out about Hanu Health. It's available now. Um, so explain all that to them and uh, so people can check you guys out.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, I, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to do that. So kind of a couple of things. Um, you know, we are very active on social media, so you can follow me at Dr. J Wiles and then at Hanu health H A N U and Hanu, by the way, if anybody was wondering is, is Hawaiian for breath, uh, which, uh, which is obviously very much a core tenant of what we teach, uh, in regards to therapeutics. So at Hanu health on Instagram, Twitter, you know, all, all of the above, um, we stay pretty active, um, head on over to Hanu And then we'll actually, if you use Code Doctor Paulvin, you'll get twenty percent off. So we'll give you twenty percent off, um, so that you can get going in our platform. And the other thing that we offer too, we just opened this up, so this is actually the first podcast I get to announce it on. So um, uh, thank you for offering me the opportunity to do it. Hey, perfect, what, I'm honored. There we yeah, go. Yeah, there we go. We opened up a consulting arm, and so basically what that means is that I'm taking on a select few and. In- um, to see as clientele. Um, I don't have a very large caseload, just considering, uh, or I say say open for caseload is because I'm doing a lot within the company, but we wanted to give people the opportunity to work one. One to get tailored focused treatment um, and data analysis and tailored road mapping for improving mental health uh, and wellness all through kind of my coaching and consulting and then also through the use of Hanu. So that's available now at hanuhealth.com consulting. If you wanted to work one-on-one with me, we have the opportunity to do that or just interested in the platform hanuhealth.com and use code uh, Dr. Paulvin for 20% off.
1: Exactly. And if you have a chance to work with Jay, do it. He I mean, as you could tell over the last hour here, he knows his pipe better than almost anybody else out there. And he has, and he also can help you optimize and, and make things better. So again, thanks for coming on the life optimized podcast and hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast.
0: Bye. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a biohacker, or an athlete. If you're ready to take the next steps to optimize your life, visit DrPaulvin.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-P-A-U-L-V-I-N.com.